Welcome to episode two of the Dark Days Dawning Cult Podcast. Today I'm reviewing The Scarlet Letter, The Puritan Cult. The three things I'll be looking at in the analysis of The Scarlet Letter is one, sin versus redemption, two, psychoanalytical theories as applied to The Scarlet Letter, and three, the role of science in the plot of The Scarlet Letter. My overall belief is that The Scarlet Letter, which is written by Nathaniel Hawthorne, does indeed portray a cult, which is the Puritan cult. This is an interesting thesis. It implies that the first people to colonise the USA were cult members, and it can possibly explain why so many cults and sects come out of the USA. But this is a thesis which will be constantly evaluated and worked through during the lifespan of the Dark Days Dawning Cult podcast. So in other words, it's not today or the next episode where I'm going to answer the question if indeed the origins of so many cults coming out of USA stems or does not stem from the times of the Puritans. Sin versus Redemption The colonial settlement of Salem, Boston, Massachusetts, USA was developed by and for the people of the Puritan faith. Their goal was to achieve a Christian spiritual utopia and create the perfect bridge to a heavenly eternal afterlife. People living in this settlement would be enabled to live sinless, blameless lives, schooled in the doctrines of the church teachings and enabled to graduate to eternal life of salvation. The people who first came here are described vividly by Nathaniel Hawthorne. To quote him, they were grave, bearded and steeple-crowned progenitors who came so early with the Bible and sword. End quote. The outgroup or outsiders of the settlement were dehumanised and treated as barely worthy of life. People regarded as unclean sinners were dealt with in a bloody and violent manner. Hawthorne warns us, Quakers were ran out of town, witches, as a continuation of the European practice, post-publication of the witch's hammer, the Malleus Maleficarum, by Reverend Kramer and Reverend Sperringer, two German monks, which wrote this book in 1486, which invoked the Levitican injunction, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, and thus, logically, witches were killed in Salem. The Scarlet Letter by Natalian Hawthorne does not concern itself with witches and sorcery, but it does concern itself with adultery. The chief characters in the Scarlet Letter are both adulterers. Redemption for the bearer of the Scarlet A is not on the cards or up for debate. Gossipers, especially of the vulgar kind, want her killed. Clergymen, when they meet the bearer of the Scarlet Letter, gather crowds offering a public spectacle by making a public sermon wherein the adulterer shall be the butt of or subtext of a sermon. If you want redemption and salvation, the message is clear. You don't follow her. For lesser sins, 
Redemption is first achieved by physical punishment in which the rod is not spared. A child who's not obeying their parents but engaging in lesser, milder sins like slothfulness and idleness is corrected by publicly putting them on display where at the scaffold they are whipped. Hester Prine can live. Her contributor in adultery must die. By not revealing who the adulterer is, she is allowing him to live. She is also depriving her bloodthirsty husband of vengeance. By staying silent over the identity of her husband, she is preventing him the social embarrassment and public humiliation associated with adultery. She is also perhaps giving her time, her husband time, to uncover who the adulterer may be. But that proves a difficult task. In this Puritan system, sin, the business of sin, becomes a public event. The psychological toll of the sin is made public through public trial, physical public torture and possibly execution. Satan also plays a role in the interpretation of sin in Puritan society. In chapter 4, Hester Prine is spoken of as if she is possessed by the devil. The young baby Pearl, who was conceived out of adultery, is referred to by vulgar people as the daughter of the devil. Redemption I have covered the sin part of this topic in the Scarlet Letter. Puritanism being so extreme, the idea of redemption feels alien in the world of Scarlet Letter. Both adulterers feel they are duty-bound to eternal damnation. Over the seven years that Hester Prime must be wearing the Scarlet Letter, her fellow adulterer is ravaged with guilt and remorse. Redemption in the Puritan faith can only be achieved when this cult-like, deeply dystopian, punitive, sin-focused sect is dismantled. Psychoanalysis. Now to the psychoanalytical aspect of the Scarlet Letter. Handy Ayasaoglu, 2015, examined the psychoanalytical aspects of the Scarlet Letter. First, he introduces lay readers to the topography of the mind. This simply refers to the superego, super I, conscious, ego, I, preconscious, and id, unconscious. We get our ethics, values, sense of right and wrong, our parental and social standards internalized into our superego, which is ideally integrated into the mind. If, however, we have a severe superego, an apt way to describe the group mind of the Puritans, you will certainly suffer from the typical symptoms that make up anxious neurosis, fear, phobias, generalized anxiety and obsessional compulsion disorder. The superego is constantly telling the ego what it can and cannot do. The id is telling the ego what it can do. The ego is forced to make up its mind and live with the consequences which occur in the form of symptoms. The id wants instant gratification. The superego is censoring the desire, whilst the ego will make a decision that it has to live with. The superego reproaches and stops the ego. Whilst the id is governed by the pleasure principle, it has two competing drives, the death drive, Thanatos, 
and the sex drive eros. The superego is ruled over by the reality principle, which the ego pays attention to. The id has needs which it desires to be met. Chester Chillingworth has some understanding why Hester committed adultery. He was born deformed and ugly. He believed he could compensate for the physical lack through book learning. The Puritan church granted him a beautiful wife, Hester. He described himself as an old, ugly man. He knew he could not be the fantasy of what a young woman dreams of. This is also a very uncomfortable fact and unsettling. In Freudian psychological terms, Isa Uglu, 2015, believes that the id was the agency that forced the two adulterers together. Ever since the scarlet A is placed upon Hester's chest, the superego of both adulterers act as a punitive agency tormenting the two psychologically. Silence. Silence certainly has a role to play in the novel. Hester Prime will not tell the world about her adulterer, Mr. Dimmersdale, nor the identity of her legal husband, Roger Chillingworth. Nobody in Salem knows their connection to her. Person, 1989, believes that there was a plan of vengeance attached to Hester's silence. This vengeance, accordingly, she is deploying to both her husband and her adulterous lover. Having read the Scarlet Letter, I can simply say the impact of this article does not hit me as being plausible. I felt I was reading a different book to person. If Hester was planning revenge, she's absolutely awful at it. First point is that Hester's silence was painful to her own daughter, Pearl, because she is depriving Pearl of knowing who her father is. Second point, if this is really Hester's revenge, this form of vengeance is excruciatingly painful and long in its lengthy in its uh, execution. We learn from stories of vengeance through the centuries that tales of vengeance are supposed to hurt the ones intended for the punishment. So if we hypothesize that her science was to help her husband find out who she fathered a child with in order for the adulterer to be killed, what this logic doesn't take into account is that after that sentence, Mr. Dimmersdale Hester's life continues to be a misery. Vengeance is meant to benefit the person carrying out the act. The agency of silence is what a person, 1989, asserts she was using to exact vengeance. It took seven years for her husband to detect who the adulterer was. By Hester Prime staying silent about the identity of her husband, her husband had seven years if what was embarrassing information withheld from the Salem public. The seven years of wearing the scarlet letter brought gravest psychological misery and social alienation onto Hester's door, 
which her child had to also endure. There was nothing written in stone that anyone would ever know the identity of either men. There is another hugely identical discrepancy in arguing that Hester gained or had a plan of vengeance through silence. Mr. Dimmersdale was given seven years to not be executed. Nathaniel Hawthorne drives these facts home. The reader is not provided any doubt, any question about what he would have gained and could have gained through Hester Prime's silence. Mr. Dimmersdale could have taken refuge in the interior of USA or Europe. By all accounts, he had the means to do so. In the seven years, he continued working his job as a respected member of Puritan society. He was deeply respected, not ostracised. Even upon him being sentenced to death for adultery, he gained more public admiration than less. He was of a religious ilk. On a daily basis, he was beating himself up over his adulterous sin. His superego was a hyper, punitive agency that would not give him rest. If his ego was more developed, he would have avoided the punitive measures the Puritan legal system had waiting for him. It was obvious that Roger Challingworth was the only character interested in vengeance. Easily, Hester Prime could have told Roger who the adulterer was. Hester's life was being spared, she knew that. She was smart enough to know that her husband was merely sweetening her up. Calling himself ugly and deformed was a decoy, a distraction method. He just wanted his wife to grass out Mr. Dimmersdale so could he could gain vengeance. By all accounts, Hester's prime wanted to live with the father of her child in Europe, far away from the misery. It just wasn't meant to be. There are no redeeming qualities in Mr. Chillingsworth. He broke doctor ethics, patient doctor trust, patient confidentiality, the Hippocratic Oath. He assisted in his patient's death. Mr. Dimmersdale found life unbearable because he could not live with the part of him that was sexually attracted to a married woman. He wonders why he didn't die in these seven years. He believes God's justice was long overdue. He is in a conflicted state as a holy man. We, the readers of the Scarlet Letter, can clearly see that the citizens of Salem were victims of brainwashing or menticide. The redemption does not exist for the person who is being sentenced to death. The crowds, the judiciary, would tell you such sinners are not going to receive redemption or heaven, only eternal damnation in the eternal flames of hell. The old word sin is now a new word crime. The old puritanical utopia failed in USA. The new utopia in the USA is Western capitalism. We know that unlike Puritan legal justice, where one is proven guilty before they are given a trial, in the US system, at least in theory, one is innocent before proven guilty beyond a reasonable doubt in a court of law. In 1984, an American futuristic film 
was released entitled No Escape from the Penal Colony. One year later, an absolutely enthralling film, Murder the First, was made about an unjust pr- prison sentence being doled out and the horror that was Alcatraz Prison. Neither films, when you think about it, belong to the past or the future. They belong to present-day USA, which is a penal colony, with the highest number of incarcerated individuals on the planet. USA even rented extrajudicial prisons in Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay. We see from the Scarlet Letter that it all began in Salem, where the settlers built the first ever prison in America. In relation to sin, the present-day criminal is not now known as a sinner. With the phenomenon of 24-7 news, special court cases have been granted full live coverage. The practice actually corresponds to Puritan times, where we saw the sinner publicly charged, displayed and shamed, with their full identity shown to the world. Is there redemption now in the legal and prison system? The prison in Salem was only a holding bay. It meant the accused was destined to be punished in some shape or form. So it was not meant to redeem or correct a prisoner. Prisons, with the advances of humanistic philosophy, are now meant to be correctional facilities, not punitive. If you look at the duration of prison sentences being doled out, if you weigh it up with the high rates of recidivism, which are in USA, you will not see the correctional aspect involved in the US prison system. I know I deployed psychoanalysis to understand the Scarlet Letter. I don't feel this is enough. We need to dig deeper in future analysis of this wonderful novel. The Scarlet Letter should be studied alongside an abundance of historical texts that tell us clearly who the Puritans were. Adding to the mix, Arthur Miller's The Crucible undoubtedly will aid our analysis. Most likely the Puritans were a sect that used menticide or brainwashing tactics. Psychoanalysis in its reach is too limited for such an analysis if we simply only extrapolate the Freudian model of the topography of the mind. No, we need to dig deeper into psychoanalytical nature. Mine the truth about the psychological realities which the Scarlet Letter does unveil. References to social psychology, group psychology, the group mind, brainwashing and explanations on how conformity is created and maintained will help. I've now reached the conclusion of this episode. Tune in again until next time. Bye for now.